Hey, what's up? It's Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks Insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is a Canucks game day. It's a big one, uh, and he's in Seattle to cover it. Uh, what's going on, Drancer? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm unfortunately not at the skate where some pretty interesting Very much rejigged so. Canucks forward lines have, uh, have been unveiled by Rick Tockett, and a pretty significant projected healthy scratch um it looks to be in the offing tonight at the climate pledge arena do you want to do you want to yeah. do the recap so i'll get everyone caught up because there were some roster moves some injury uh placements on on lti and just normal ir call-ups and then and then as you alluded to the lineup shuffle so uh the canucks today they put carson Susi on ltir pew Suter on normal ir and that's retroactive so to the last game uh, he played, which I believe was on November 12th. Uh, Neil Zaman and Cole McWard called up to fill those two open roster spots. So that's one part of it. Now, I see that, and my mind immediately goes to, okay, what's the health status of Mark Friedman and Tyler Myers? Because they mm. both left the game in Colorado on Wednesday. But you get to skate. They're both out there. But as you alluded to, the really the real interesting shakeup is up front. And I'll, I'll run through the lines and uh, listeners will catch maybe the the name that is absent until I get to the healthy scratch. So uh, here's how they lined up at the game day skate in Seattle today. It was uh, Elias Pettersson skating between Ilya Mikheyev and Sam Lafferty, JT Miller with Anthony Beauvillier and Brock Besser, so kind of going with that unit that we've seen here from the start of the game. Uh, Bluger with Dakota Joshua and Connor Garland. Neil Zaman with Niels Hoaglander and Phil Giuseppe which leaves Andre Kuzmenko as the odd man out, the 13th forward. And I just saw Ian McIntyre also saying that uh, Philip Hronick was practicing with power play one at the game day skate. Uh, so Hronick not in his power play one spot, 13th forward, looks very much like a potential healthy scratch tonight in Seattle. Wild, wild stuff, given how big a this team Andre Kuzmenko has been over the past couple seasons since he turned pro uh, Sam Lafferty up to the top line. That's a heck of an opportunity for a player mm -hmm. who's played very well since the Canucks acquired him at trade. And yet, you know, I, I think given Garland and Hoaglander's profile and, and career scoring rates, right. Uh, a bit of a surprise that it's Lafferty among Vancouver's bottom six forwards. And then Beauvillier among Vancouver's bottom six forwards who are promoted while Hoaglander and Garland remain on the lines that they've played on consistently for much of this season. Uh, so certainly a ton to unpack there. I, I'd add this, the fact that Hironic, like that's a good detail that Max passing along there, because the fact that Hironic's practicing with Canucks PP1, uh, the fact that Kuzmenko's not even practicing with PP2, right, yep. shows us very clearly that it's not just a tactical thing, but that, in fact, Kuzmenko is trending toward being a healthy scratch 
against the Seattle Kraken in Vancouver's 21st game of the year. Yeah, and so, of course, this comes with, you know, the context of, I forget exactly which game it was after, but the commentary from Rick Tockett that Kuzi needs to start playing uh, a little harder. That was the line from Rick Tockett, pretty, you know, blunt and to the point. And it also comes with the context of something we talked about a lot yesterday, which is just that line, the Pedersen line with Mikheyev and Kuzmenko, not getting it done, being outscored pretty consistently here over the last seven games or so. And, you know, the Lafferty thing is fascinating. And and look, I want to hear the feedback from the listeners as well. What's your reaction to a potential healthy scratch for Andre Kuzmenko tonight in Seattle? And I'll say for me, I'm not that surprised. Like, it is a surprising decision, but how how often have we talked about this year of, you know, hey, look where Kuzmenko's minutes are, and, you know, look, he, he gets replaced by Beauvillier sometimes late in the games when they're protecting leads, and we've heard the commentary from Tockett. We've seen some of the, the turnovers. We understand how Tockett wants to play, wants this team to play. I don't think it's necessarily a surprise, and I will also say, and you know, I've seen some fans already start to kind of say, hey, this is ridiculous, he's too talented, how are you scratching this guy? I, I think Rick Tockett has earned a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here with how he's managing this lineup and how he's managing his players, because he's just been so consistently on point in terms of getting the most out of his guys so far. Yeah, but you know, I think there is a, a fair bit that fans are... I'm sure wondering and second guessing, I mean, this is a pretty significant scratch. Like it's rare to go from being a 39, 40 goal mm-hmm. scorer to being out of the lineup a quarter of the way into the next season. Um, you know, uh, the, the fact is too, is that while that line has been outscored, it's worth noting, like, I'll just give it to you based on the, on the centerman on the roster. Right. Yep. So this is on ice save percentage based w- with various connect centermen on 100%. the roster. And I'll start at the bottom nine, four, eight, Sam Lafferty, mm-hmm. right? 973 Pew Suter, 927 JT Miller, 867 Elias yep. Pedersen. I mean, there's one of those things is not like the other, right? Like very much so. So the fact that, you know, Kuzmenko, who's got, if, if we do the PDO thing, like a PDO that's basically, you know, right at level, 101. Um, is sort of the guy being dropped down the lineup while, you know, uh, Anthony Beauvillier, 107, right? Sam Lafferty, 110 are the guys promoted. Like, is there an element to which, one thing I'd wonder, I guess, is, is there an element to which the Pedersen line has effectively regressed over the last 10 games in a way that the other lines have sort of been absent from? And it's, and it's made their performance stand out more in part because the bounces are still favoring. Yeah. And and especially the bounces in the defensive end of the net are still favoring everyone else in the Canucks lineup. Um, you know, that, I think that's a fair thing to wonder. Uh, I certainly think as good as Rick talk, it's been that, you know, looking through this and, and sort of wondering like, hey, how how's Lafferty getting this promotion um, ahead of Garland? I think the answer there is probably that Garland, Joshua, with Bluger and or Suter is just too valuable they, right now. They've been really I good. Actually, they've, yeah, I think actually that's might a big be a vote thing, of confidence. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, but I still think it's a fair question to ask. And, and certainly the Hoaglander, um, you know, like what, what's this guy got to do? He's on a four game point streak. Um, you know, I, I understand the, the defensive limitations, but you know, this team's defense, like typically is a lot stronger right now than their ability to generate five on five. Like that's the area of the game where Hoaglander can sort of help you. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's a, it's, it's a muddle 
There's no question. Like, it's a muddle up front now, and it'll be very, very interesting to see how Lafferty in particular responds because this is, you know, a, probably the best opportunity he's ever had in his career yeah. in terms of getting a shot to compliment skilled players. So I wonder how much of Lafferty going up, okay, and you look at the other options, and I think you're right about the Bluger-Joshua Garland trio where it's just, well, they're playing really well, and they're buzzing, and they're generating they're generating chances probably the most consistently of any line right now for the Canucks, so let's keep that together because it's going really well. You know, Hoaglander is the interesting one, but I wonder with putting Lafferty there specifically, how much of that is tied to whatever message is trying to be sent to Kuzmenko here, right? Where it's not that you're going to expect him to turn into Sam Lafferty, but almost an explicit message from Talkit that what we need is more tenacity, more more physicality, more speed, more toughness. And again, you can't expect Andre Kuzmenko to completely uh, reshape his game here, but I wonder if that's part of it, is we're not just going to plug in another skill offensive guy. Like, we know Andre Kuzmenko has skill and has offensive upside, but the coaching staff maybe feels they just need a different dynamic alongside Elias Pettersson. And look, I... Uh, there's a well, there's more there's a lot more to get into, but I do wonder how much of it is that is just making a statement with the type of player they're choosing mm. to give that opportunity to. Right, you're you're saying the whole team, not just to Kuzmenko, you're saying to the whole team like these are the qualities that we're going to reward that we're looking for up the lineup. Right, I think I, I wonder how much of that goes into Lafferty getting the promotion here. Well, it's a very interesting comment, a very good take there, Jamie, because you know. Uh, one thing I thought of too, when I saw that it was Lafferty uh, getting sort of the first dibs look uh, on Pedersen's wing in, in Kuzmenko's absence, um, you know, what were Tockett's commentary about pushing the pace, right? Mm. Um, one thing we know Lafferty will do is skate very, very fast <laughs> <laughs> yep. and play North South. So if you wanted to, if you felt like that line wasn't doing enough to push the pace, who better to throw up there than, you know, arguably your fastest straight line skater, right? Um, so, you know, I, I do think it's, I do think that's probably part of it. And, you know, I, I do think a lot of it's probably motivated. Like this isn't, you don't do this move because you've lost faith in what Kuzmenko can do, right? You do this move because you need Kuzmenko yes. to be the player you think he can be, yep. right? And, and so I do think there's, uh, has to be, at least part of what they're thinking, um, you know, it, it is contained within that sort of message sending, right? That that lesson to a player that Tockett, you know, works a lot with, right? Mm -hmm. Always insists he likes working a lot with um, and needs to get more from, certainly if this team's going to live up to their potential and the potential they flashed in the first 20 games of this season as – the season rolls along. Uh, good text here, unsigned. Lafferty with Pedersen is 100% about face-offs. I don't know about 100%, but that is a good shout-out, I think, right? Yeah, that that you get is. the center up there. We saw Pedersen not taking draws, really, in Colorado. So rather than do the thing where, you know, Teddy Bluger comes over to the board, tries to win the face-off, and then go right to the bench, have a center out there who can take the draws with Pedersen and Lafferty. I think that's a good shout-out uh, from the yeah. listener here as well. Part of the reason why you're seeing that. And, you know, as you said, like, I don't think this is this is not going to be a a long or even medium term thing for Andre Kuzmenko like I think this is the classic hey we're not getting enough from you but we need you just take a game to reset and then we're going to get you back in there and hopefully this will uh, this will jumpstart you doing more of what the team wants but it is striking to see 
you know, one, Neil Zaman comes straight up and go into the lineup over Andre Kuzmenko. And I would say even like Phil DiGiuseppe staying in the lineup over Andre Kuzmenko at this point, considering how uh, he's dropped down the lineup the last couple of games. And, you know, Rick Tockett has bumped him from the, the Miller and Besser line. And I think part of this here is... And again, not that I'm expecting Andre Kuzmenko to be a regular healthy scratch or anything, but I do think part of the what's going on, what plays into this decision is once you remove him from Elias Pettersson's wing, it's hard to it's hard to find that other logical spot to put him in the lineup, right? Because, mm. you know, he he really needs to be in those premium offensive situations to have success and to be effective. Yeah, and and you know, one one other thing to note here, I think too is you know, we, we, for good reason, love to get excited about lineup changes, right? Mm-hmm. And especially when a, a star-level player, or certainly a player that this club was counting on to be a star-level player, um, is healthy scratched. It's going to have us talking and, and wondering about what's next and w- what the club is thinking. But we also have seen Rick Tockett juggle his lineup situationally yep. um, to get the team going. So how they start isn't necessarily how they finish and you know like are you going to be surprised if the Kraken score the first goal if we see a steady diet of lotto line no not, <laughs> like, not at all you no know? not at all so, yeah so you know we, we, in context we we at least should note I think that um you know there's a lot going on here a, a lot that Rick Tockett's trying to do in terms of what messages he's sending to his own team in terms of what sort of tactical considerations have gone into this but also I, I do think it's you know, I do think it's worth noting the fact that it's, you know, not, I mean, it's how they start. It's, <laughs> it's how they start. Mm-hmm. And we could, if it doesn't work, we won't see it for very long. Yeah. Well, well but that's, but except the Kuzmenko healthy scratch doesn't fall into except that. Except the Kuzmenko. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I agree with that's you on true. everything else, but the Kuzmenko one, that's for good for the game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're writing that one in ink when you make that yep. decision. But yeah, all of the other, like, to, to the people saying, well, why isn't Hoaglander getting a shot with Pedersen? Maybe he will tonight. You know what I mean? We'll see how it goes, right. how the game develops. That could easily happen uh, at some point in the game tonight. Because to your point, we've seen Rick Talk be pretty comfortable uh, s- switching those lines up depending on how the game is going. Uh, Brandon Vancouver, this is an interesting one. He says, I feel like this is the first roster disconnection between management and coach. Kuzi doesn't seem to fit Talkett's style of player especially when things aren't breaking our way. That's from Brandon in Vancouver. And it's an interesting point because there has been so much talk, and I think accurately, right? We've seen it about alignment on top from the top down in the organization, from management to the coaching staff. And, you know, Kuzi, I think, or Kuzmenko rightfully seen as a really big win for this management group. And it is interesting now, a little bit of maybe, I don't want to say clashing philosophies, but, you know, a player who was obviously highly prized by management and and signed to an extension and now struggling to earn the trust and earn that playing time with the coach, something we haven't really seen under Rick Tockett just uh, until this point, really. Yeah, Uh you know, one thing I note, though, is, like, it's not Garland or Hoaglander getting the shot with Pedersen, right? Mm. It's it's Lafferty and Beauvillier, two guys brought in by this management group, who, who bump up the lineup. Now, we've discussed all the reasons why why Rick Tockett might be making those decisions, but, you know, I, I wouldn't look at this as, a, as an example of misalignment. I mean, just look at the guys getting top six opportunities. Those are also guys that this club is pretty yep. invested in. 
right? Management having committed that $4 million in cap space to Beauvillier in that Horvat trade by, by taking him back in the Horvat deal and describing him as a third first-round pick in the trade, right? And then, and then Lafferty, too, uh, the club gave up futures for. Like, they're rewarding guys, or Rick Tockett is rewarding guys that are very much this management team's guys, maybe at the expense of guys inherited by this management team who, in our mind's eye, might make more sense in the top six. So, you know, to me, that point. doesn't look look like misalignment. Well, no, I didn't. I don't mean like in general, in total, but just no, specific, stylistic, specifically Kuzmenko. on Kuzmenko, yeah. right? And I, I do think that's an interesting thing to monitor is – because oh, this is sure. not this is not coming out of nowhere with Andre Kuzmenko, right? Like there have been breadcrumbs leading to this point, and you know, ultimately, ulti- right? yeah, exactly. Ultimately, where like how much of a role he can carve out under Rick Talk, and I think is very much a legitimate conversation, a legitimate talking point, and something to follow uh, for this season and beyond for the Canucks here. And I, and I think the texture gets at an interesting point there. Uh, six fifty, six fifty. You can keep your thoughts coming in here to the Dunbar Lumber text line I do want to talk about some of the other moves that we mentioned here as well and one of the guys who's going to be making his season debut for the Canucks in the lineup it looks like is Neil Zaman who gets called up and again that was uh, Carson Soucy going on LTIR so that frees up some cap space in addition to the roster space for the Canucks and then Pew Suter going on IR which frees up just the additional roster space Neil Zaman Cole McWard the two guys called up doesn't look like we'll We'll see McWard today because uh, both Tyler Myers and Mark Friedman took part in the game day skate. So Hiroshi and McWard are the extras or were the extras at the skate. But Neil's on. Drancer getting a shot coming right up from Abbotsford and looks like he'll get a shot. And hey, he's been off to a really, really strong start, certainly scoring with a point per game down for the Abbotsford Canucks so far. Yeah, you know, I'm curious to see with the defenseman, right? I'm curious to see if McWard's on the ice for warmups, and if there's maybe a game time decision mm. among that group. Now, I know he was switching in for Juleson as opposed to switching in for Friedman or, or Myers at the morning skate. So that would be, you know, certainly um, that, that seems to suggest that there's no game day uh, or, or game time decision. But, you know, I, we'll see. And, and we'll see what Rick Tockett says, too, given his trademark honesty about these sorts of mm-hmm. situations. But my spidey sense would tingle a little bit. Um, as to whether or not, you know, while they're taking place in, or while they're taking part in morning skate and look like they're going to try to play, whether or not there's maybe a guy who might not for sure go on the Canucks back end, which necessitated the, the McWard call up. Um, so, yeah, no, the, the, the Amon thing, I'm really curious to see two things. And they're the same two things that we've talked about every time he's come up, you know, dating back to the summer, which is that, you know, I think he needs if he's going to be a full-time NHL player, much less a full-time NHL center, right? He's going to need to win draws Mm -hmm. and he's going to need to be able to occasionally, at least occasionally work the puck into dangerous areas of the ice offensively. His production at the AHL level has been really good this season. Hopefully that's something sticky, a sign of, of real growth in his game. But you know, while I liked his game away from the puck, like I love the speed. I think he's actually a pretty polished NHL level guy in terms of like the weight on his passes, the way he, receives passes his his overall puck handling ability but kneels him on down low in the zone you know takes the puck behind the net and passes it back to a d right kneels him on gets the puck in yeah. the half wall and puts the puck back down low all perimeter nothing dynamic there 
like that is going to keep him from carving out a full-time job in the NHL. Just look at Pew Suter, Sam Lafferty, and um, Teddy Bluger, and like the way that they play, the way that they can look dangerous offensively, what they can generate, right? Like there was just none of that in Neil Simon's game last year. And if he's going to be a full-time guy at the NHL level, which is, you know, a very hard level to hit, right? There needs to be more. There needs to be more... Um, there needs to be more opportunities for the Canucks when he's on the ice. He needs to help contribute to those opportunities. So that's what I'm curious to see. It's those two factors. Uh, is he improved on, on uh, draws over yeah. what we saw last year? And, and is he a little bit more dynamic or even looking to be a little bit more? Is he a little bit more aggressive? Like whether the plays work or not, do right. we occasionally at least see him try to pass the puck into the slot? Um, that sort of stuff is is what I'll be looking for tonight. Yeah, and it's gonna be. I'm gonna be very curious also to see minutes for Neil Zaman and that mm. line with Niels Hoaglander on the line, right? And we know he doesn't typically get a ton of minutes, and you know Phil DiGiuseppe may maybe falling out uh, of favor a little bit. And you know one of the the calling cards of Seattle, right, is their depth. So you know the Canucks' depth has been a real strong point for them. That's something we've talked about a lot. Like, do they shelter that line, or how much do they shelter that line? How much do they limit? Uh, its minutes, how do they deploy their players in general? And I think, as you mentioned, I would expect almost no matter the game state to see a little bit of shuffling throughout the course of the game. That's just kind of been how Rick Tockett has done things to make sure he's smoothing uh, those minutes out or getting everyone who needs it to get those minutes. I mean, I will also say it's interesting, you know, and maybe this is just because they needed a, they wanted to put an extra center in today because they're moving Lafferty up with Pedersen. But, you know, they did call up Linus Carlson not too long ago for the Calgary game. And I, I wonder if it was, you know, Neil Zaman just checking some more boxes down in Abbotsford or or simply that they wanted the uh, the depth at center. Any reaction quickly to uh, Carson Soucy? I mean, LTI for Carson Soucy, given the 68-week timeline, that's not a big surprise. Frees up no. some cap space. But uh, Pew Suter on IR, any any reaction to that one, even though it is retroactive to the last time he played? No, not really. They need the roster spot. They wanted to get two bodies in. They have a back-to-back. You know, th- whether they have, um, whether they have an, a game-time decision or not on the back end you know this was a good time to to call a guy up given that you you travel to san jose tomorrow right like just like have an extra guy with you for that second leg of a back-to-back in case there's an additional injury or in case one of these guys who you know are going to be playing a little bit banged up tonight aggravate that injury and to any extent that all makes sense to me uh Suter going on on IR you know you you miss a week of games on IR well he's already missed a a week of games and they were (laughs) They prominently noted that it was a, a retroactive uh, assignment, right? So, you know, the, I think that's partly probably because, like, I wonder how much they're conscious of wanting to get in front of the idea that, well, they said he was day-to-day, you know? Mm. <laughs> but, no, it's retroactive, right? So he'll, be yeah. able, he'll be eligible to come off almost immediately. So he could come back so, like whenever, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. So it looks to me like, looks to me like this is uh, you know a, a set of moves um you know Susie going on LTI was necessitated perhaps by further injury or at least by further injury risk but as we said right this is the way that that LTI space was always going to make the most sense mm-hmm. was to was to call guys up into it right like at the start of the season when the club had Juleson and and Nikito Hirose play against the Oilers those first two games like they literally didn't have the cap space 
for McWard on the roster because he's got, you know, that, that 925K cap hit, like because of his ELC cap hit. So, you know, this was an opportunity. If you're going to get McWard a game, if you're going to get a, him up in the lineup, like Susie on LTI kind of opens that up as a possibility and also opens up the possibility that you don't have to be conscious of like, well, we can only fit 22 men on or like now they can actually have like a, the luxury of a full roster to, to attack, for example, this back-to-back, and I, I just think they're taking advantage of it. So that's the way I'd analyze it. Uh, I think it's just a sensible approach to, you know, the mounting injuries, the mounting mm-hmm. bumps and bruises that players are dealing with, and, you know, some of the, like, low-cost paper transactions they're able to make, um, you know, up front. It is a Canucks game day versus the Seattle Kraken. Allison Lucan from Root Sports will join us next. JanPro, the leader in commercial cleaning, keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting JanPro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit janpro.ca. More Canucks talk with Allison Lucan coming up here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650 here on a Canucks game day. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Drance live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Always fun when the uh, Canucks and the Kraken meet up, uh, in part because it gives us a chance to talk to our next guest, one of our favorites here. She covers the Seattle Kraken for Root Sports Northwest. You also hear on the Too Many Men podcast. Uh, She is the great Allison Lucan. Allison, thank you for doing this. How are you? I am great. It is always my favorite time of the day when I get to talk to you. Well, that's very nice. Um, so this is a good one because, you know, we've been uh, we've been talking about this as, hey, this is a big game between, you know, two Pacific Division rivals. And, yeah, they had very different starts to the season. But all of a sudden you look up and, hey, if the Kraken win this one, they're only four points back of the Canucks in the standings. And, yeah, we're already watching the standings here in November. I mean, how, how, how big a game is this from uh, from a Kraken perspective right now? Yeah, I think it's a really big one, particularly because it's going to be the last home game for a while before the team heads out on the road. And as you just outlined, I mean, we all know how important divisional points are. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this division in in particular shakes out. Mm -hmm. So the Kraken really want to get on the positive side of 500 and, and they have to do that tonight. What's what's gone right for the Kraken? You know, as I said, it was a slow start. What has improved for them after a, a little bit of a stumble out of the gate? Yeah, I think you know there's some individual answers to that and some team answers too. Individually, you've got Oliver Bjorkstrand looking like his best self. You have goaltending has been good even in the face of what was at first some leaky defense compared to what the Kraken had historically done, and then. On the team level, that defense has tightened up, as has the ability for the offense to create not just more offense total, but better quality offense. So they're kind of rounding back into the form that we saw them at for most of last year. Allison, one player who we saw truck the Canucks a little bit this past weekend, and it's been a slower start for him than, than we, we probably expected, was, was Matty Beneers. 
Is this sophomore slump stuff? Is this regression? What's What's been going on with Beneers' game? Because he looked like the Beneers were used to uh, when we last saw him play the Canucks, but that hasn't been the case too often this season, has it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. If you look at that line, which is Jared McCann, Maddie Beneers, and Jordan Eberle, you know, in, in the past few games, they've really started to come on. They're one of the best lines on the Kraken in terms of not just time on ice, but shot quality. They, they had, and granted, it was the Sharks last game, but they had the Sharks hemmed in for close to two minutes just with, with creating off the cycle and generating chance after chance. So if I look at the underlying numbers, particularly, again, in the last week, week and a half or so, they're rounding back to doing all the right things. It's just not getting the results that they need off his stick. But on the other hand, you know, you've got Jared McCann and Jordan Everly putting points up. So that, that kind of carries that load. Um, but I, I don't worry about what he's doing. I, I think the puck just needs to start falling for him more. With the Kraken defensively, it looked like early in the season defending the rush in particular seemed like an Achilles heel, something that we hadn't, we wouldn't have said about them last season for even a single day, um, but seemed to be an issue in their first 10 or so games. Uh, what's, what's tightened up in, in that instance or, or in that spot in particular for Seattle of late? Yeah. You know, I think a couple things, I think first, you know, you had Brian Dumoulin coming in and so you wanted to see him, reinstitute that chemistry with Justin Schultz and those two to get their feet under them defensively. And then I think that they just got better at their reads and, and holding true to their layers of their defense and not giving those gaps that they were giving before to let either the skater or the puck pass slash right through them. So I think, again, it's, it's better adherence and better execution to the system, but, but it was surprising both creating off the rush and defending the rush. Very mm. slow starts for the Kraken this season. You know, one of the things that has continued as a strong point for the Kraken from last year to this year is the play of Vince Dunn, who really broke out last season. And I mean, at least from a, a point production standpoint and the minutes he's logging is, is right there again. Has he taken another step forward even, or is this just kind of him hitting that level, that really, really high level that uh, he was at last year for you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. He he missed the second half or so of training camp. So I think, again, uh, this was the player who took a little bit to get going, but he is looking like himself. And I, I mentioned the slow start to the rush game. So seeing him create off the rush is one mm. of the signals to me that the team is, is getting back to where they need to be. Last season, I think he was in the top two all season in terms of executing and completing stretch passes. So when he's on that part of his game, that's what feeds so much for the Kraken. And I think that his body is fully back for him, and that's just allowing him to execute at the level that he has set for him. Is he driving the shot quality aspect for him? Because it's kind of funny. I mean, we talked so much about it last year, like how you know they were shooting the lights up many great shooters up and down the lineup and they're all shooting this incredible percentage and then a bit of a slow start but you know I pull up their numbers right now and like Bjorkstrand has a great shooter set you know Schwartz, Tolvin, McCann like a lot of these guys are nice out again I mean how much of it is you know creating off the rush and consistently getting to those high danger areas that allow the crack to sustain some of these shooting percentages yeah I think you've got there, right? And that was something mm. they really hoped to add with bringing Kyle Yamamoto's his ability to kind of drive that front. It, it's funny, I actually asked Pierre Edouard Belmar today if there was a set to the score. The answer was time in the gritty zone. He thought that was the most <laughs> important thing to track. I love that answer. But, you know, I think, too, with you, you talk about a player like Vince Dunn, 
when he's on the ice, opponents know he's on the ice, obviously. And so that's going to help stretch out your defense because they know they have to respect his game. And that's what's starting to open up some of those soft spots closer into the dangerous areas. And players, again, are fighting harder to get there. And, and ironically, if you look at shot attempts on this team total, number one is Jared McCann, but number two is Adam Larson. So you're getting a ton of offense from all over the place right now. Allison, uh, getting away from the Kraken, I want to just ask you a general sort of like team profiles, underlying numbers question, because I, I've been, we've been talking a lot about the Canucks who've been on a historic PDO bender uh, to start the season a lot. And of late, their underlying form, especially with their top two forward lines on the ice, ha- has really softened. And I was sort of looking at it big picture, like not, not looking at trends, but looking at the first 20 games. And I, I, it struck me suddenly that actually the Canucks profile pretty similarly through 20 games as one of the Eastern Conference leaders, the Boston Bruins. And in some ways, I expect the Canucks to regress in terms of their results rest of season versus what they've done, which has obviously been glowing 27 points in their first 20 games. But no one would ever say that about the Bruins, in part because we're just used to the Bruins exceeding our expectations year after year and just like getting it done no matter who retires. Um, <laughs> uh, am I too low on the Canucks or am I too high on the Bruins? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the Bruins find new ways to impress us every season, right? Every year, like you said, we go, well, they've lost this guy and this guy and this guy's hurt. So they're going to be down to earth. And then they go and brew it again. So um, I think, you know, part of it is, is legacy, right? When you've done it time and time again, it's harder to question. But I, I was looking at some of this for the Canucks too. And I, I think it's fair to accept, expect a little bit of regression. Like I look at back at Demko's numbers and even coming into the first time these two teams met, he was starting to fall below expectations in terms of what he was allowing versus what he was facing. And, and I think you can expect to see that even out a little bit more in net. But, but then I looked at your top three point producers and, you know, you are looking at guys. I, we talk about this on your show all the time. You look at their finishing mm. ability as Micah Blake McCurdy measures on hockey viz. And they're all up there, you know, and, and Patterson in particular is end of the charts. You know, JT Miller is end of the charts right now in terms of being so good at that. So I'm kind of out on the PDO debate because I do think we have more effective ways now to measure if people are finishing at the rate that they should. And that may be above league average. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of people buy, like I definitely am buying high on the Canucks power play. Um, you know, I, I think you're right to to separate, obviously, say percentage and shooting percentage, right? Uh, PDO more than anything is just like a gut check on on, on right. sort of our overall perception, right? But the, the the rate at which bounces at both ends have gone Vancouver's way still to me is like a, a red flashing indicator, especially if their top six forward group can't control play. Uh, with, with With these two teams, though, and their forward depth in general. What did you see from the matchup game on Vancouver ice? How do you expect the matchup to look a little bit differently now that Haxtell, um, you know, is sort of in the driver's seat on that front? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting. We were looking at this um, this morning, actually, during morning skate, and I'm going to be interested to see 
where we talked about Maddie Beneers. What's the matchup that he wants for that line right now? And mm. and the Gord line has been the most effective defensively, and they're the line that draws your attention. They're the line that has Oliver Bjorkstrand on it right now, and 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 they're taking opponents' top lines and and playing quite well with them. So. Those two lines in particular, I'm interested to see where he puts them. And it's going to be very interesting to see what he does if the team has to come back from, from any sort of trailing situation. So those are kind of the couple things I'll be watching. Allison, it's kind of a, an obligatory question on the show at this point with Quinn Hughes doing the things that he's doing. I mean, like what, what stands out to you most? There's so much that he's done at a, at a really high level, but when you watch him play this year, what are you seeing from Quinn Hughes? Yeah. You know, whenever anyone asks me about him or, or even a Kale McCarr, you know, what, yeah. what I love is just at, at, at a league wide trend perspective that we're continuing to push the barriers of what people think defenders are all about. Um, you know, and Zach Wierenski was, was a, a, one of these rover type players that I, I covered when I was in Columbus. And to see a player who says, I, I'm, I'm challenging you to maybe start thinking a little bit about positionless hockey. And, you know, we talk about Vince Dunn and saying, yeah. you know, he, he brings another weapon onto the ice. That's what I love. I love that we're saying this is a player who first and foremost is focused on keeping other teams from scoring, but isn't afraid to say, I can do a little bit of it all, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it with authority. That's that's what I love the most. Well, it's pretty remarkable, too, when you look around the league, and, you know, Eric Carlson cracked the 100-point mark last season. You know, now you've got Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr among the league leaders in points in total, not just for defensemen. It just feels like the envelope keeps getting pushed. You know, you mentioned Vince Dunn. He's almost a point per game this year, and yet – when you start to bring up, you know, oh, wow, off these young, offensively talented defensemen in the NHL, like his name wouldn't come up for a while. And I look at, you know, Noah Dobson, probably similar situation with the Islanders. There's just so many guys who can do it. And it feels like at the very, very top, we're kind of just scratching the surface of when you have a player like Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, Eric Carlson, how much can you unleash them? How much can you change the role of what we traditionally think a defenseman should be? Yeah, and that you know that's where I do give credit to these coaches who are allowing these players to be fully in themselves. And you know, again, we talk about I just waxed poetic on Vince Dunn being part of the engine of the rush attack for the Kraken. Like that, that that's a huge piece of the puzzle to say be defensive but also get things going the other way. And I think again, coaches who say to a player you've proven to me you can be responsible defensively and I'm going to let you trust your judgment and your reads and, and your evaluation of a situation of when you're going to jump in and become that fourth forward. That's awesome. And again, I'm here for it. Let's do it all day long. Allison, we're dealing right now with the fact that Carson Susie's absent from the Canucks lineup and is maybe missed more than we would have expected. Uh, is that something Kraken fans have contended with in the early going this season as well? You know, it. it I think particularly early on it was. You know, I mentioned, and, and this would be for any player, this is certainly not a slight on Brian Dumoulin, but there was an acclimation period uh, that came on. And, you know, Carson Soucy also brought a little bit of a physical side to him that I think maybe the Kraken haven't always shown in every game. Um, and he was a bit more offensive than Brian Dumoulin is. But now we're seeing as the Dumoulin and Schultz pairing comes into form, they're up in the tops. You know, if you go to Money Puck, they're up in the tops in terms of their ability to shut down attackers. So it just changed a little bit of a wrinkle in terms of how these three pairs 
look. I think the Kraken are adjusting, but uh, we love to see Seuss thrive. He's, he's a great guy on and off the ice. Allison, we, we always do this, and we're 20 games in, so it feels like a, a useful time to check in on your Pacific Division tiers. Give me your tiers, Pacific Division. Tear them up. <laughs> well, I am going to say, because I'm going on record to anyone who will let me say this, I was still out on Edmonton. I needed them to prove it to me, so here we are. <laughs> you you um, were. <laughs> well done. But – but you know, I, I do. You know, for me, going into the season, I, I saw Vegas and LA as kind of top top of the tier looks, um, and they still look that way to me. I, Vancouver is a, a surprise, and good for them. I mean, we talk all the time about you know yeah. what those fans have been through. I think Arizona's coming down to earth a little bit more. Anaheim, you know, they're 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 probably there with Arizona realistically. Calgary's with those two also. So. Top tier, Vegas and L.A., middle-ish tier. Let's see what this game tonight does, but I'll put Vancouver and Seattle there. And then we've got the rest of the ones, maybe Calgary's in there too, and then and then the rest of those guys are, are filling out the rest of the division. She is Allison Lucan from Root Sports Northwest covering the Seattle Crack and also the Too Many Men podcast. You can follow her on Twitter, at Allison L. Highly recommended and always a pleasure to chat. Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much. And Shana and Sarah, say hi. Yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're the best, Allison. That is Allison Lucan, uh, one of our favorites here. And Drance, we did it. Yeah, we did it. We got through the whole interview without... Just act like you've been there before, Butchering man. her name. No, I can't because I haven't. That's <laughs> <laughs> impossible in this instance. <laughs> yeah, just just, just let's, let's pretend it's nothing. <laughs> uh, despite people in the inbox and also our producers in the chat trying to jinx us. Uh, so, yeah, you know, we, we got through it. And I will say I had a, a conscious strategic choice there where in previous instances – I've referenced it before we bring her on and made a big deal about trying to get it right, and it has backfired, and we've screwed it up. So my choice this time was going into it, not saying anything, not drawing any attention to it, and just hoping that we nailed it, and we did. We did. And we nailed celebrating it. celebrating hard on the back end. Yes, exactly. I appreciate that, bud. Look, hey, man, um, you got – hey, if, you, if I'm not going to pat myself on the back, who's going to do it? Come on. I, I will. <laughs> Great job by you, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you, Dancer. Um, hey, uh, I want to tell the story real quick. We Kay. were out – I was out um, ahead of the football game last night and lots of people from Vancouver at the football game, lots of people from uh, Vancouver dotting the streets of Seattle. And there was this group of, of guys and they'd been served pretty liberally. Sure. And uh, they were from Vancouver. And, and as they walked out, um, they brought, uh, they brought me and, uh, and Dimitri who's, who's down here as well. Um, a, a pint, right. They brought us each a pint and the guy who gave it to us said, I overordered for our table. I overordered for our table, so you know we we thought we'd bring them to you. But I just want you to know, I hate your takes. Like I absolutely <laughs> hate your takes. Um. So and then he quickly walked away, and I said to his buddy, I said, please tell him that he hates his he hates my takes because he can't do math. <laughs> please let him know from me. <laughs> the reason he doesn't like the takes is, is about his relationship with math and not about me <laughs> well hey i mean you got a beer out of it i'll take that trade any, any day of the week it was so good i'll take it that trade so any good. day of the week that's fantastic Here, here's a beer but i hate your taste that's so it. good was, hey that's, that was, that's all right you can live with was, that 
Oh, absolutely. No one, no one is obligated to like any of our takes. No. <laughs> As a general rule. Absolutely not. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We have uh, head coach of the Vancouver Giants coming up at 1, at one o'clock, Manny Viveros. Looking forward to that conversation. But a few minutes before we go to break here and a chance to dive in to the Dunbar Lumber text line, Chet and Burnaby, this this name caught my interest as well on waivers today, Drancer. Mike Riley. And Chet and Burnaby says, yay or nay. And when you look at it, you know, could the Canucks use a guy with a little bit of puck moving chops on the on the back end right now? I thought that was an interesting one to see pop up given the injury situation for the Canucks. Man, he's really struggled with the Panthers this year. I've I've long been a fan, but he has been he is it has not been good for him when he's gotten in that lineup, and that always worries me because the Panthers seem to be able to plug in anybody and have it work. <laughs> That's a good point. You know what I mean? Like like, like Oliver Ekman Larson? Yeah. Well not and not just have that work, but like go look at his scoring totals in ice time, right? It's like yeah. Oliver Ekman Larson, number one defenseman, like sure, sure. And and let's punch well above our weight without Ekblad and Montour in the lineup for two months. Like, man, uh, seriously, by the way, I was thinking about it because I'm pretty sure we're giving the Bruins too much credit. I'm pretty sure we're giving the Bruins too much credit uh, for just like doing it again. When, when I actually think there's some softness in their profile, like I was looking at it, I was thinking, man, I, I wonder, I wonder if there's real value in a to win the Atlantic division futures bet on the Florida Panthers. Mm. Like, I, I wonder if that's a long shot worth considering just given how smoke and mirrorsy some of this Bruins thing feels to me, especially because it doesn't actually make sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you can't get plugged into the Panthers lineup and succeed, that to me is like a, a genuine cause for concern. I, I, I've, I've, I've traditionally been high on Mike Riley uh, right now. Um, I mean, look, worth a shot given where Vancouver's left side is at, I suppose but I wouldn't have a lot of hopes uh, for him to be like the answer to much of anything for this team right now. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I, I, I guess it's also just a question of at some point, you know, we've talked about Christian Willannon a lot, right? Do we see Christian Willannon when he's healthy and, and good to go uh, for, you know, at some point during the duration of the Carson Susie injury, uh, more texts coming in about Andre Kuzmenko and also the call-ups and a couple people, of course, of course it is Neil Zaman coming up and sliding into the lineup at center. A couple people texting in, what about Arshdeep Baines? Keith says, why hasn't Baines been called up yet? In this case, I mean, two reasons. One, he's not a center, and I think it's just as simple as they want to give him as much time to keep learning, keep performing, keep you know, having a ton of success in Abbotsford before they feel the need to call him up. And, you know, they're in a good spot, right, where they have – you don't have to call a guy up like Archie Baines just because he's had this fantastic start because you have other legitimate options, including Nils Amon, who's played NHL games and is also playing really, really well at the Abbotsford level. Yeah, and, I mean, this is a positional thing more than anything. If you're moving Lafferty to wing and you're down Pew Suter, yeah. right, you need a center. Uh, very, very straightforward – we're going to see uh, Archdeep Baines this season. He's making his NHL debut at some point this year, I would strongly expect. But you can understand why it's not now. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. This guy texts in, uh, Drancer, 
Uh, so I, I like sort of like some of your takes, but considering hockey analytics math is a bit of a stretch, signed a guy with a master's degree in actual math, LOL. Well, yeah, of course, <laughs> of course, right. of course, you know more math. You have a master's degree in it. Oh, but but I, also, but also, it, he's he's right. Hockey math is basically counting. It's more like note taking than it is like actual mathematics. And yeah. certainly the way that I approach it is is not math. <laughs> oh, look, counting's counting's a type of math. That's how that's how you learn. It's just not hard. It's not hard math. Uh, we, no. we will take a break. As mentioned, uh, Manny Viveros, Vancouver Giants head coach, coming up here. Vancouver Warriors lacrosse. Don't miss out on the best show in town for as low as twenty five dollars at tickets.vancouverwarriors.com. More Canucks talk on the way here on Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And we are now very pleased to be joined on the line. He is the head coach of the Vancouver Giants. He is Manny Viveros. Manny, thank you for making some time for us today. I know uh, I know you're traveling between games. Uh, thanks for doing this. How are you? Oh, thanks, guys. We're just on our way on the bus right now to Kamloops. We've got a game there tonight. And uh, big win in Spokane on Wednesday for your team. What went right? What did you like in that performance? Well, I just thought uh, just the way we played, I thought it was probably one of our best games of the season here. Um, we were certainly disciplined. Um, we reduced the amount of penalties that we had uh, compared to other games this year. And I just thought the kids, uh, you know, they just dialed in as far as the details of the game and especially going into a tough place to play in Spokane. Um, kids were ready, prepared, and they, uh, you know, they executed what we wanted as far as the game plan. So, really encouraging, and uh, something that you know we've been seeing through our group now this year that we uh, continue to develop and get better as, as the season goes on. One of the, uh, you know, one of the things that I know that Giants fans have been really monitoring, of course, is the status of uh, of Samuel Hanzik, who was injured in preseason with the Calgary Flames, hasn't been available yet. Now, I, I believe he's started skating with the team. Can you give us uh, an update to his status and, you know, potential timeline on when he might be back in the lineup? Yeah, I know Sammy's been with us now probably for about, uh, about five days now, practice and full practice and uh, in con- full contact, so we're looking, uh, you know, tentatively for next weekend uh, for him to get back in our lineup here. So we just uh, obviously with this injury that he suffered uh, during training camp with uh, with the Flames is something that we don't want to rush. We want to make sure he's uh, he's more than 100 percent ready to come back, and then uh, we'll just get right into things again. So, but that's something you don't certainly with uh, uh, how valuable this young man is to us, and also his career going forward. We don't take any chances to make sure he's ready. What kind of impact? I mean, we saw what he could do last year. He's got a, a, a unique physical profile, can do a lot of different things on the ice. What kind of impact does bringing in a, an experienced, productive physical player like that have on your entire lineup? That's a good question, guys. I haven't seen him yet. So <laughs> we've, been, 
I hear I hear it. I see the tape, but obviously though he's he's not only just on ice but off ice. He's such a player team and a leader for our group here. So, but he's going to be a guy that's going to, we're going to be able to plug and play in all positions. He'll be a power play guy. He'll be uh, a guy. Also a guy that uh, you know you can have out there the last two. Carrying a lot of the load uh, for our group this year, and something that he can kind uh, of help share that out. Just give us an extra, uh, you know, strength down through the lineup. Manny, I know there was some conversation prior to the season about maybe trying him out at center. Uh, is that still a plan? Is that still something we could see? I assume it is, based on you noting that you can plug and play him in any position. Yeah, no, real good question, guys. Uh, that's something we've been debating back and forth right now. Uh, you know, we still haven't made a decision, but we are kind of leaning towards maybe putting him back on the wing just to get him, you know, get his timing back and get him mm. back in a position that he's comfortable with. And then once he kind of, uh, you know, gets that game speed back and that rhythm back and, and gets his, you know, uh, game conditioning legs back, then, then maybe later on we'll, uh, uh, you know, uh, Put him at center because I think he's he's capable and smart enough and certainly skilled enough to do uh, play that position right now. But you know we're kind of debating right now whether just to start him off back of the wing just where he's more familiar, and then uh, you know he is going to play that position at the World Juniors uh, Championship. So that's something we're still discussing, but uh, we want to give him every the best opportunity to succeed. In uh, in Hansik's absence, uh, another Calgary Flames prospect in Jaden Lipinski. Uh, has been leading your team in scoring. What sort of growth have you seen from that young man over the course of the season? Well, you know, for me, the biggest part is not just the, uh, the point production. It's more important is how he plays the game. Um, him and that line that we're on with uh, Cameron Schmidt and, and Ty Halliburton, they're, they're always getting the tough matchups every single night and, and trying to match them up against their other team's top lines and, and their best best here. So they're not any, any night more importantly is, is how he's, his game's evolved away from the puck, how conscientious he is of playing a 200-foot game here. And that's really going to help him in his development and, and hopefully earn him a contract with Calgary here. But I, I really like the way he's progressing because he's, he's, he's playing it, uh, a style of game and what he needs to play to get to that next level and not just get to get get there and, and excel at that next level too. So that's really encouraging too. So that's why the importance of you know having – Samuel Hansik back with our group here, kind of just All right, we might have lost Manny there. We'll uh Oh, Manny, do we have you back? All right. We'll uh we'll try to give Manny a a quick shout here and just to get a couple more questions from him. I know they're on the bus uh going up to Kamloops to play uh the Blazers today, so maybe a little bit of spotty service on the highway, but we'll try to do just a couple more minutes here with Manny Maveros of the uh, head coach for the Vancouver Giants uh, going to play a, a suddenly depleted Kamloops Blazers team. I don't know if you saw the mm. big WHL trade today. Fraser Minton going to Saskatoon, I believe, uh, in, in one of the typical blockbuster WHL trades. Uh, so, you know, interesting development for a, a divisional rival for the Giants. Well, the, the Blazers loaded up as the Memorial cup host, right. Yeah. Um, traded for Olin Zellweger and you know, some of the, some of the cost of doing business, I suppose is you, is you go for it when you got the shot 
and uh, and sell when it's not your year. So uh, a cyclical approach from a Blazers team uh, that's obviously been one of the signature uh, CHL franchises for certainly all of my lifetime. Uh, I believe we have Manny uh, back on the line. Manny, thanks for sticking with us and uh, and rejoining there after after the connection dropped out. Uh, I did want to ask you about uh, a defenseman on your team, Colton Roberts, who's you know only seventeen. Uh, I know he's been playing a big role. He's he's putting up points, but as we all know, with defensemen, it's not just about the points; it's about how they're handling everything else in their game. What can you tell us about Colton Roberts and how he's performing as a seventeen-year-old in the league? Well, I've been really impressed with Colton the way he's he's evolved. Uh, he's been, like, you know, for us for a seventeen-year-old to, to play the a number of minutes that he's been playing uh, on a you know pretty young back end there. He's done a really good job. Uh, he's got he's got that nickel level shot. There's no question about it. He's the puck gets off a stick, whether it's a wrist shot or if he gets a chance, he's a one timer. It's a heavy, it's pretty accurate shot. Though. But the biggest thing with with Robbie is that we're we're getting him. You know how to learn how to defend in his own zone. You know, play his angles and be in the right positions in his own zone coverage. And if he continues to keep uh, improving what he's doing like that, he's going to be a real, really good pick uh, for some of the NHL this, this coming summer. Manny, you've got a long history in the WHL. You know, first as a player, and then also, you know, more recently as a coach. But you did spend the last several seasons before this one coaching in the AHL with the Henderson Silver Knights. Coming back to the WHL now, and, you know, we saw the number of high-profile players who got drafted out of the league last year, obviously starting with Connor Bedard, but we see Zach Benson is going to stick in the NHL now. And, you know, it just seems like there's always another crop of incredibly exciting young talent coming up through the league. What are your impressions, you know, on your, again, coming back to the league after a few years' absence of just how high the level of play in the WHL is right now? Well, actually, you know, you said it best. Uh, my, my, uh, just being here, uh, past three years being an American, is coming back and just seeing the level of skill that these kids have. The game is evolving. The kids are evolving. Uh, they're coming in, um, in, you know, incredible shape. These kids are training year round. And just the skill set that these kids have at a young age here is quite impressive here. And it just, just goes to show what, you know, the Western League has been doing over the last, uh, well, not just last, how many years or decades producing high-end players in the National Hockey League. Manny, really appreciate the time. Best of luck tonight in Kamloops. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks very much. That is the head coach of the Vancouver Giants, Manny Viveros, and they're playing in Kamloops tonight, but they will be back at the uh, LEC tomorrow against Tri-City. So if you want to check them out, you can go to uh, the Vancouver Giants website and get tickets again. Playing tomorrow night at 7 at the LEC against Tri-City. And always, uh, always enjoy when we get to chat WHL with somebody on the show, Drancer, because it is just so impressive the level of play that the league is at right now. And you heard it from uh, from Manny there coming back from the AHL and his experience with Henderson really being struck by just how much these kids can do at a, at a young age now at the junior level. Yeah, the, I mean – it's um, it's a really high level of play in the WHL, and honestly, I do think we're in a golden era for hockey mm. talent coming out of British Columbia, right? I mean, that that more than anything, especially when you consider that, you know, although he um, is from the Northwest Territories, like Gavin McKenna's training out at Rink in, in Kelowna, right. right? So, you know, I, I mean, the the level of talent and, and on both the men's and women's side, right? I mean, Chloe Prim, uh, Primerano, too. Mm-hmm. 
would be, I, I mean, that's a generational prospect for the Canadian women's national team, right? Like that's going to be one of the absolute best defensemen this country has ever produced ever. Uh, I think um, on the women's side and, and she's British Columbia born and, and trained. So uh, just a, just an absolute mess of talent coming out of BC. A lot of that talent is filtering into the WHL. Um, it's uh, it's a, I mean, it's incredible. Honestly, it's incredible. This is a golden era for British Columbia hockey. Yeah, and shout out to local product uh, Zach Benson getting to stick with the Sabres playing his yeah. game. Oh. Very, very exciting. Coming what off the goal. heels. How could you send him down after that goal? No, I mean. How I could mean, you do it? You simply couldn't. He's also playing big minutes. Like, yeah. they're playing in middle six minutes. You know, I mean, apropos of nothing, not trying to. <laughs> Not trying to bring up anything or, or rattle any hornet's nest, but man, he's been so impressive. He's an been, NHL player, like, yeah, period. I don't know is. what else to say. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is a Canucks game day against the Seattle Kraken. We will try to get you some Rick Tockett audio at some point before the show ends here. It's all The timeline's always a little different when they're on the road, but uh, hopefully we'll have that before the end of the show, especially in light of the potential Andre Kuzmenko healthy scratch. That's what it looked like based on how they lined up at morning skate today. So hopefully we can hear some Rick Tockett commentary about that before the end of the show and react to it. But I did want to get into, you know, we did the, uh, we did the forwards grades at the 20 game mark yesterday on the show. And you and Harmon followed it up with the grades for the defensemen and the goalies uh, up, at the, up at the Athletic today, Drancer. And, you know, no surprise, given what the team's record is, a lot of very, very positive grades on this, which I think is absolutely appropriate when you consider how strong so many of these players have been. You know, I don't think we need to belabor the Quinn Hughes point at this at this point, right? He's an A+. We all understand that. He's playing absolutely phenomenal hockey. But did anything else jump out to you in the course of compiling and ins- assigning grades to the Canucks defenders and goalies? Well, just that everyone has played well. (laughs) You know, like, um, considering my love of bell curves, uh, there was no way way to grade on a bell curve. Everyone's pretty much in the middle or or on the right side. You know, I I think the lowest grade we handed out is a C. Usually we have a couple Fs or, like, some real strugglers. But, you know, and and even that C was, like, for Anthony Beauvillier, who's still, like, fine. Like, Mm. he still played well. It's just been kind of quiet around him. And he hasn't really been like an engine driving play, but I don't think he's played poorly by any means. It's just the scoring hasn't been there. Um, and although he's moved up the lineup tonight, like, I don't know that that case has been un- put it this way. There hasn't been like a clamor for it uh, in the market. And I think that's because the market kind of watches closely and is attentive and, and knows what they're talking about. So, you know, it's just that everyone's played well, like this Canucks team has played well and everyone on it has played well. Sometimes it's as simple as that. <laughs> I, I, I do kind of want to bring up this Bruins thing, though, because okay. I genuinely i am just like looking through and trying to, you know, do my after 20 games check. And it's just uncanny how similarly the Canucks and the Bruins profile here. And, you know, Bruins are obviously the top team in the Eastern Conference, top team in the league so far. And I, I don't think they're going to maintain that. I really don't think they're going to maintain that. But like the Canucks, when you have great goaltending, right, um, and when you're dominant on one phase of special teams at least, and the Bruins' penalty kill is, like, I'm buying high on that, just like I'm buying high on the Canucks' power play. Um, 
it gives you a lot of outs, right? Like it gives you a lot of ways to, to win games. Uh, even if, you know, your control of five, uh, five on five play is only fine as opposed to being great. And I, I just sort of think that's kind of where the Canucks are now. And not, not Bruins level, obviously, because we, as Allison put it, right. We give them a lot of credit because of their legacy of exceeding our expectations, the yeah. Canucks exceeding our expectations feels more fragile, but it probably shouldn't. I, I mean, I think both teams are going to struggle to replicate what they did in the first 20 games over the next 62. Um, but yeah, just uh, just the thing that really struck out to me was like, am I too low on the Canucks because they profile so similarly to the Bruins or am I too high on the Bruins? And, and what I ended up concluding and please don't yell at your um, radio that I'm being negative here was, no, I think I'm just too high on the Bruins. I'm giving them too much credit. I'm giving the, the spoked B too much credit for their ability to keep defying my expectations year after year. It's an interesting point, though, about how they've earned a certain amount of, well, we just think it's going to continue forever, right? It's like, yeah, they're the Bruins. They just find a way to do it. We probably go overboard on that, but I don't think it's entirely off base. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's it's more reasonable to believe that the Bruins, when things aren't going as well for them in terms of getting the saves and, and shooting percentage and all that, that they will, that they'll have something else to fall back on. You know, even if they're not showing it right now, I think it's fair to look at it and think, well, but when the going gets tough, they'll probably have something they can draw on. And it, it's not scientific and it's not, you know, even tangible necessarily. But I, I do think that makes a certain amount of logical sense to kind of believe that about the Bruins in a way you don't believe it. Uh, about the Canucks I think the other part of it is that if the Bruins have a bit of a slot like the Bruins still even post Bergeron the question is what are they going to do in the playoffs once what now that they've started like this like that's the question about the team is okay what are they going to do in the playoffs like this is ultimately a team where hey it's great to have a good regular season if you're the Bruins but you're going to be judged on what happens in May and potentially June. So yeah, okay, if they play at a 600 points percentage the rest of the way or something, which is, you know, good, but not spectacular. I don't think it's going to raise too many eyebrows because everyone's just waiting to see what they do in the playoffs. Whereas with the Canucks, I think we have bigger questions about this team. We would love to see what they can do in the playoffs, but they're not that that same team where it's like, yeah, nothing really matters until May. The rest of the season no. really, really matters. So we're super hyper-focused on you know every five, ten-game segment with this team because I think there's just inherently more questions about them than there is about a team like the Bruins. Well, I've, I've, I'm, I've firmed up my fade position on the Bruins. I just don't think they're in the same class as the Florida Panthers. Like, right. I, I really don't. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ride with that. I've decided my preseason fade position, which I had since abandoned, and just adopted a, like, they can't keep getting away with this position. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm ab- I, I don't think there's cause for that. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fade the Bruins here. I've decided. Uh, I haven't had a bigger fade position on them going into the year than I did on the Canucks. Um, and now it's flipped. Now it's flipped. I'm a there little. You go. <laughs> I will say. So there it goes. And I don't know how much of this is save percentage off the top of my head, but the fact that the Bruins are killing 91% of penalty kills right now is or yeah. absolutely ridiculous. In this so, day uh, and age, with where the league average power play is, is phenomenal. Well, that's that's um, that also dovetails nicely with something that you know my my deep data dive today when I woke up and just was looking at data after 20 games and really trying to process it all and what it means and and you know what how to forecast what's next for this Canucks team you know looking at their power play data so looking at the Bruins power play data I'm buying high on that like 91 percent probably not sustainable but 
they're going to be one of the best penalty kills in the league at season's end, and that unit is for real. Um, Vancouver, though, you know, I know we've talked a lot about them being improved, right? And they're still only about 76%. But I, I see more reason to believe that this team will end up bottom five or, or certainly safely bottom 10 by year's end than I do reason to believe that they'll finish league average. Like, I still think that's a hole in this team's game and one that's become sort of more pronounced as this season has gone along. Like if we were highlighting reasons for concern about the Canucks for me, um, you know, I, I see some softness in, in terms of the way that their underlying form um, four on five is shaping up or trending here as we go. And, uh, and, you know, I, I actually, I've been saying this for a while, but I'm saying it with more confidence. Now it's, it's looking, it's looking like a trouble spot again, and hopefully they can arrest that. Like hopefully they can, find a way to solve that and get it going in the right direction. Yeah. What are you, I mean, I know it's your favorite thing talking about the penalty kill. Uh, I know you love it. It's, uh, it's something you really, really cherish, but my favorite, your favorite, you know, it is striking to me that Pedersen and Miller have been so heavily used on the penalty kill. And I know, you know, McKayev's coming back from an injury. Bluger was out to start. He was coming back from an injury. Those are two guys absent injuries. You would figure would be a really, really major part of the penalty kill but and I'm not even saying like oh it's it's Miller and Pedersen's fault or anything I think they've done a pretty decent job it's just it's a lot it's such a burden on those guys at a certain point right to have them carry the minutes they do at five on five the minutes they do on the power play and then not to have another option that you want to put over first on the penalty kill and you know I wonder if they do try to establish Bluger, Mikheyev, you know even Joshua Suter when he's back as guys who get more minutes than than Miller and Pedersen on the PK and again I'm not saying that will single-handedly fix it or anything but just to kind of lighten the load a little bit on uh, on Miller and Pedersen by turning it down slightly on the penalty kill for them. Yeah one guy whose data really pops in a positive way um, on the PK first of all Pedersen. Pedersen's PK data the underlying performance anyway is, is it, that pops in a, in a very, very positive way, but sort of one of the more under the radar ones would be Joshua. Like, I, I really think there's an opportunity to expand his role four on five. He's been sick, just like sick four on five dating back the last two years now. Um, he, he, you know, he's in the rotation, but it, it's not like they're leaning on him very heavily four on five. To yeah. me, that would be one thing you could consider to sort of, try and give this penalty kill a shot in the arm and, and something that, you know, I hope we do see because in, in smaller samples, teams just really seem to struggle to generate and pass through them uh, for uh, when, when they have the man advantage. And I'd like to see the Canucks even lean on him more heavily than they have. That's an interesting one. Yeah. I, I've been impressed with Joshua's game in general recently, right? I Yo, mean, me I too. There he's was... been awesome. Yeah. Like he's, he's creating chances. And, you know, as you said, He's showing, a bull right now. He is. He really is. And, sh- and then when you factor that in and then showing potential on the penalty kill, like all of a sudden that's a really, really interesting player, right? When you're when you're doing that at 5-on-5 five five and, and helping to create those chances and you have major value or potentially value anyways on the penalty kill, like that's a really, really interesting uh, interesting player and the kind of thing that, yeah, we talk about the, the mass of wingers on this team, but – he still has a chance to be unique really amongst those wingers and the different things that he can bring to the team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I mean, Josh was, Josh was useful, but nothing else to it. Josh was useful. And I, I agree with you. I think his game's trending in, in, a, in a really auspicious direction in terms of the battles that he's winning 
uh, the way that he's contributing to how that Canucks third line, which has been far and away their best line, five on five, yeah, like far and away. Um, you know what their what their like their success. Uh, the last two weeks, it's felt like Joshua has been an even bigger part of driving that. You know, uh, I tend to think that Gar- Garland's the key engine there. I still believe that, but it feels like Joshua is more additive than ever. And, and that's been coming on for almost a month now, but, it's, but especially amplified the last couple of weeks. Well, and I do wonder, and, you know, I know we saw it last year where they tried to go to Joshua, I think with Elias Pettersson uh, and Andre Kuzmenko, I believe, because McKay would have been out at that point. It didn't last very long, but I think Joshua is playing a lot better than he was at that point. He seems to be have a much more consistent understanding and ability to do what, what Talkit wants him to do. And, you know, now that we've seen the one healthy scratch for Andre Kuzmenko, and I know it's Sam Lafferty going up, but I wonder if Dakota Joshua gets another opportunity like that at some point. Although, as we said, hard to break up the Bluger Garland Dakota Joshua unit right now because they are having so much consistent success at five on five where a lot of your other lines aren't really getting it done right now. Okay, we will take a break here on Canucks Talk, the uh, final segment of the week is coming up next. We'll uh, we'll see if we can get some audio from Rick Tockett to play as we continue to dive in to the uh, Andre Kuzmenko healthy scratch in Seattle, looking ahead to the game against the Kraken tonight in general. That's coming up here on the final segment. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintec Studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I'm a little overwhelmed by the sheer volume of sports happening right now. Trance. It's uh, it's quite impressive. I, obviously, Black Friday day after Thanksgiving in the states. It is a packed NHL schedule, college football, college hoops. The NFL is on right now. And shout out to producer Dom and his Jets for the rarely seen, <laughs> the rarely seen end of half hail mary intercepted at the goal line, returned a hundred yards for a touchdown by the Miami Dolphins. Oof. I liked the Oof. I liked Tim Boyle, who's got to be the worst quarterback to ever start an NFL game, based on his thirteen to one interception to touchdown ratio in college. Oh my um, gosh! I love him getting his ankles broken as like the last guy on that yep. very Duran Bland esque return by by the, the Dolphins. I've never seen that. I've never seen a hail mary. I don't think I've ever seen that. The closest a thing touchdown I, at the end of a half. The closest thing that it reminds me is the uh, the kick six in the Iron Bowl, the Alabama Auburn. Mm. Well, they're like, well, I guess whatever. We'll just try to kick the field goal, and then it gets returned for the game winning touchdown. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's it's hard for a play to go more poorly <laughs> than that one at the end of the half for the uh, New York Jets. But hey, that's why they're the Jets. Um, also. Hey. Go ahead. Uh, shout out! Shout out to everyone else like me who's starting the Dolphins DST today. Uh, shout, hey, let's, I, I'm let's in go. a different league, but let's I got it go. as well, so I'm pretty fired up. It turns out starting the defense that's playing Tim Boyle is a is a pretty good idea <laughs> in fantasy football. Uh, I just got to run. There's like there's just a lot of weird stuff happening. So like I guess this isn't weird, but 
did you see Jason in Dickinson hat trick? Well, the Dickinson, the Jason Dickinson hat trick against the oh, Leafs, yeah. which is fantastic. I, I, I watched a lot of that game. I watched a lot of um, Boston. Detroit before uh, before we started our show. Yeah, so the Jason Dickinson uh, hat trick and Mike and Twasson texted in. Jason Dickinson is single handedly ruining my parlay. What is going on? And I, I'm just imagining, you know, the the epic handshake meme of Mike and Twasson and Jim Benning. Jason Dickinson is single handedly ruining my plans. What's what's going on? So Jason Dickinson getting the hat trick uh, against the Leafs for Chicago. And then I also have to mention this. Did you see the where the over under was set in Iowa Nebraska college uh, college football today? Uh, was it under twenty nine and a half? It was twenty four and a half. Yeah, that's that's classic Iowa, and it hit. Thir- it, like the overplay. Thir- no, the under hit thirteen yeah, yeah. ten final score. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, what what Iowa does is appalling. Did you see their head coach? Uh, had a gave a press conference. Sorry, I follow this stuff really closely. Um, their head coach gave a press conference earlier in the year where you know they've lost a game and scored like three points or whatever. And he talked about how he doesn't care at all. He doesn't care at all. And one of the <laughs> proudest moments that he's ever had as as the coach of the uh, Iowa football team was when they won a game two nothing. <laughs> It's I mean, disgusting. that would be pretty awesome winning a game two nothing. I have to say that would be pretty funny. I, I will say though, I, I because of just like how systematically that school hates offense in in football. Uh, hilarious, by the way, because the Iowa basketball team is like a, an over monster. Incredible. But um, but the way that they hate offense in football led me to uh, draft Sam Laporta. There you go. I was like Sam Sam Laporta. I mean, he was good and put up numbers on Iowa. He's got to be amazing. It's worked out pretty well for me. Hey, tight end university in Iowa, man. Yeah, and yeah Sam Laporte is doing it. All right. I just got I just had to get that all in. There's just a lot going on in the world uh, well, of sports it's, today. It's part of our effort to turn this into an yes. all sports podcast. To turn this or like specifically <laughs> like a obscure college of American college athletics betting sports podcast. That's really where we're that's where the money is, especially in Vancouver. That's where we're going. Uh but speaking of betting and sports betting, I did want to mention interesting line, I thought. For the Canucks and the Kraken tonight, Canucks basically like as slim favorites as you can possibly be, minus one fifteen, Seattle minus one oh seven. So basically a toss up with with the Canucks on the road, Transer. Yeah, I mean, we've commented on it at length that Vegas has been a little bit slow to give this team real respect. Right? I mean, for the most part. Yep. Like it took them it took them way too long like at least a week too long to have better playoff odds than Edmonton even though it was apparent to anybody that uh Edmonton was going to be in top and that the Canucks were going to require something pretty cataclysmic to miss so um yeah I mean I think that's just part and parcel of it uh this team's had a really compressed schedule too and I think that's also you know this is eight and uh what sorry this is six in ten for the Canucks with a lot of travel in between. Tomorrow's going to be like the line that's going to be really interesting is when we see Sharks Canucks get posted, right? Because the Canucks were what, minus 400 or minus, yeah, they were minus 400 home yep. favorites, which is, you know, an 80% expected uh, implied probability, just like as lopsided as it gets. Because while I say Vegas hasn't given the Canucks real respect, you know who it really doesn't respect? The San Jose Sharks. Um, but. I'm really curious to see that line. I won't be shocked by something that looks pretty routine, something that looks like, you know, minus 180, minus 200. Because of the rest factor, you're thinking? 
Yes, because yeah. of the rest factor, yeah. the back-to-back. Um, on the road. You know, on the road, all, all of that stuff. I mean, that like there might be decent value there. Uh, for uh, for betters, you know who who think the who think the sharks just are not, are are kind of a joke, which you know which, they're right. Yep, yeah, has been pretty pretty accurate so far <laughs> this season. Sorry, good take. Sorry, good sharks. Take. Yeah, <laughs> that you're bang on on that one though. Six fifty six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, you can keep getting your thoughts in here ahead of the Canucks playing the Seattle Kraken, and as we've been mentioning, re- really important game. You don't want to. You don't want to be going into even San Jose on a back-to-back feeling like, oh, man, we really, really need to win this one before we go home. You want to, especially where you've just lost to the Kraken, you want to go and you want to take care of business uh, against the Seattle team and, you know, help to reestablish that cushion that you've started to develop over them in the standings. But the Canucks will be doing it without Andre Kuzmenko in the lineup tonight. He's going to be a healthy scratch. And uh, I think soon we should have some audio from Rick Tockett, so hopefully we'll be able to hear from him and play his explanation before the end of the show. Don't have it up quite yet here, but one one interesting that's, uh, or one area that's going to be interesting for me, Drancer, is the power play, because the power play has been such a strength of the team, and you wouldn't necessarily say that Kuzmenko has been, you know, instrumental to it right now, but he has been a mainstay on that top unit since he's been in the league, since he's been on the team, and, uh, you know, I'm curious... Like, I think if if they're going to – if it's going to have a big impact on the game in any way, you're going to see it on the power play as they integrate a new player and specifically Philip Ronick, a second defenseman, onto that top unit tonight. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't love two defensemen, five on four, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Hironik can absolutely rip it, but uh, – and so Hironik can absolutely rip it, and Kuzmenko hasn't been – I don't think super additive, especially like of late. And I'm not sure it's because like, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's because Kuzmenko got hit in the face and maybe there's some re-aggravation risk or, or something going on that we're unaware of, but like of late uh, Kuzmenko spent more time up high, less time at the net front, which moves JT Miller to the net front, which means less like fewer puck touches. Yeah. Now JT Miller is such a monster and so smart that, you know, he's great at the net front too. Wow. Like it must be cool to be able to do everything. <laughs> but um, I fundamentally want JT Miller to have the puck a lot, right? Like that's, you know, one thing I really like about watching JT Miller is five on five, for example, you know, when he's really dangerous, it's like when he stops moving, he's got to be the only player for whom that description is, is true. Like there's almost no one else in the NHL. I'd describe that way, but at five on five, JT Miller starts gliding and the moment he does, you know he's, like, seeing something, sizing up, like, a narrow space, and he's just going to feather some outrageous feed to a teammate. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he, – J.T. Miller's best attributes is passing. It has mm-hmm. to be, uh, especially five-on-four. In fact, you could even go and say J.T. Miller's best attribute is his passing at five-on-four. And when Heronic comes in, you know, I think we all know he's going to – like they're still going to play a rotation style and there's going to be movement, but for the most part, he's he's going to be a little bit more locked in uh, on that left side half wall. And that's a spot that I just generally want JT Miller in. Yeah. Right. So like as much as possible within the, you know, concept guy, <laughs> the, the, the plays guy formulation. No, of, not, uh, not a plays guy. Don't, don't you dare call Rick talking a plays guy. He is not a plays guy. He's a no, concept he's a concepts guy. guy. Yeah. Right. Concepts guy formulation of the Canucks five on four system that that's sort of the 
the drawback. It's not about Hironic. I think Hironic's like good offensively, obviously, and a totally fine fit well, on I, the power play. I, I think but, you, uh, you put a second yeah. you put a second defenseman on the power play, and like, like anyone short of uh, if you unless you were taking, putting like Kale McCarr next to Quinn Hughes or Adam Fox or something, but like short of that. It makes me a little nervous having the second defenseman yeah. on the power play. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just it's not ideal. inherently it's it, and especially when this when this unit has thrived so much on being able to shift around and and go into different roles and different spots, right? And there's so much fluidity because everyone can do uh, d- the different things on the ice. And not that look, Kronik, he has the shot. We've seen his passing ability, his puck skills, his offensive vision. I'm not saying it's going to be a hopeless power play or anything, but just when it has been such a strength uh, of the team, that's one area of concern I think uh, I have about you know the Kuzmenko healthy scratch and how it's going to impact the game against the Seattle Kraken tonight because it has been so key for the Canucks winning games. Jay and Calgary texts in about the Kuzmenko healthy scratch. I'm not surprised. Is there any coach in the NHL who doesn't fall victim to galaxy braining the deployment of talented, skilled, but offensively calibrated forwards, yet grinders who can't hold a a candle talent-wise get promoted? That's from Jay in Calgary. And similarly, uh, Francesco texts in, my biggest concern is that uh, talk, uh, my biggest concern, concern about a knock on talk is that he handcuffs the creativity of the skill guys when things start going south. And I, I mean, wouldn't you say, though, that Tockett's impact this season, especially on the power play, has been to unlock that? Uh, certainly on the power play, 100%. Yeah, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think, I don't think Sidney Crosby, Phil Kessel, Evgeny Malkin, <laughs> you know, like Patterson, Hughes, Miller would agree with that. You know, like fu- fundamentally, I just don't think that's a fair thing to tar talk it with. Mm-hmm. Um, even though his Arizona Coyotes teams played extraordinarily negative hockey, and I have real concerns about this team's goal scoring five on five. You know, I don't know that that's systematic or 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 what's there, but certainly with the way that he's managed this power play and the enormous credit he deserves for taking it over himself and really changing up what had been successful and making it better. Um, you know, the idea that Rick Tockett fails to understand the role of skilled hockey, I, I just don't think that's fair. I don't think that's reasonable. Honestly, I don't. I, I would agree, I promise you, if I thought it was. Um, <laughs> well, look, I, I just don't. I think the texter, and there's two texts in there, right? One is about kind of all coaches doing this thing where they, they promote more defensive guys over offensively talented players. The other one is specifically about Tockett, uh, maybe limiting the creativity. I think the point in general about when the chips are down, NHL coaches have a pretty shared playbook, and it tends to be, okay, try to double down on, on defense, right, over offensively skilled players. I don't think that's necessarily wrong, right? When you're struggling, I, I don't think there's no. necessarily anything bad about that, about, hey, let's get back to the real fundamentals and start by keeping the puck out of our net. And in this Kuzmenko situation in particular, you know, again, I don't have a problem with a one-game message being sent to the player, right? This is not – because what's happening here isn't saying – it's not talk at looking – at this and saying that Kuzmenko is not going to have a role on this team. It's him trying to make sure that they're going to get the best out of Andre Kuzmenko two, three, four months from now by going through this process now. Like if, if I would be much more concerned if I thought Kuzmenko was going to be completely marginalized and not utilized in a significant role going forward. I don't think that's the case. I think this is part of the process of trying to make sure they have a really good player on their hands who can complement Pedersen in the top six down the road. Well, also. 
we've talked about it, but it's hard to design a better opportunity than Kuzmenko's had all season, right? I mean, he plays power play one with Quinn Hughes, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, and Brock Besser. He's been glued to Elias Pettersson for the last, what, 100 games of his NHL career. I mean, pretty tough. Like, it's pretty tough to design a better opportunity or role for this guy. Um, You know, I I don't think he's been at his best this year, frankly. Like, I, I don't think he's been at his best this season. And you can smell this coming from a mile away. Like, you know, I get what people's concern is. I, I sort of share it. I mean, one, I've been talking a lot about how we take for granted the idea that this team is just going to keep scoring at an outrageous clip, right? Mm. Uh, I don't think they're generating enough five on five for me to look at this and say, Hey, this team is going to be even an above average five on five offense over the balance of the season. And to say that given the skill level on this team, right. Means that, you know, they, they've got to be falling pretty short in terms of what they, what they're generating. I thought we saw that in the third period against Colorado. Um, but you know, you look at like this guy's 10th among forwards who played at least 10 games in, uh, average ice time five on five, like he's playing fourth line minutes. And when you're playing fourth line minutes, five on five, well, you're going to be one of the top names to consider scratching, right? Like he's got to earn that trust. He's got to earn a bigger role before it's a bigger surprise and a bigger story in my mind and a bigger issue in my mind. Uh, when he gets scratched. And I think the other thing from from the talk at decision-making point of view here is if you are going to emphasize culture and accountability and structure and habits and staples as much as the Canucks have publicly, and look, they're reaping rewards in a lot of ways from that, but it can't just be talk. There has to be follow-through. And I think back to the very, very brief benching of JT Miller, right? It was in the it was in the uh, the Nashville game at home, sat for about four minutes at the end of the second period. And Rick Tockett wasn't doing that, I don't think, because he thought the team was in a better position on the ice for those four minutes. I mean, they had a power play, a key power play in that game, and JT Miller didn't go out there. I think Rick Tockett was doing that because he needed to send the message and he needed to back up the talk of accountability. And I think it's the same thing with Andre Kuzmenko. If you have these standards, but they only apply to guys in the bottom six, right? Only apply to guys who don't have a chance at scoring 30 goals or being on your first power play unit. Like that's not a real standard. That's not a real culture that they're trying to build. You have to be able to apply it evenly up and down the roster. And I think it's it's as simple as if, if a guy's not doing all of the things that Rick Tockett demands, there's going to be, this is going to be a possibility. Yeah, and you know, one, one, one other thing is if Kuzmenko's back in the lineup relatively rested against San Jose. <laughs> not a bad spot. You know, not a bad spot to be in. It's a good get-right spot for him personally and the sort of thing where if you get, you know, angry Kuz on, uh, yep. on Saturday night, uh, that alone could be enough to get you the win. Um, so, look, I'd add, too, that uh, obviously Kuzmenko's play on the – avalanche game winner right the other night is probably part of this and and that's often how this has worked too like when hoaglanders come out of the lineup we can easily look back and be like oh he was in the wrong spot for that goal against in tampa bay or he was in the wrong spot for that goal against you know like this is another trend like if a player seems to have deviated from the staples and it really costs the team um pretty consistently they've been the guy to sit yeah, and that I think that is very much to Rick Tockett's credit, right? Because you, ha- as I was saying, you absolutely have to back it up uh, with uh, with your actions. It can't just be words, or it's going to fall flat in a hurry. And I think this is more of that from Rick 
talk it. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, how close are we on the uh, on the Rick Talkit audio? No, it's on the Canucks Twitter. <laughs> While you troubleshoot in real time. <laughs> the, right. um, I thought we were going to have it here, but anyways, I guess not. We can kill time, man. Don't yeah. worry about it. Anyways, you go ahead. <laughs> sure. I got you, bud. No, I look. The 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 thing I'm most curious to see is how Haxtall, how much does Haxtall try to avoid the way the Maple Leafs did, for example, uh, JT Miller against Matty Beneers head-to-head? Because that was the matchup the Canucks wanted on home ice. Now, it didn't necessarily work, work out for them, right? Beneers, I think, was the best player on the ice that night as the Kraken defeated Vancouver. But I, I'm really curious to see if Haxtall, especially given the way Vancouver's top six has sort of struggled to control play, if Haxtell would prefer Gord with Miller and works to get uh, or Gord head to head against Miller and works to find that matchup between former Tampa Bay lightning teammates um, tonight. And, and as a result, like as one of sort of the downstream effects of that tries to sick the Beneers line against Patterson Lafferty and McKayev, that's sort of what I'd anticipate we see but I'm really curious to see how the chess match unfolds between these two head coaches. I really think the Vegas line Canucks minus 115, um, Kraken minus 107, the Pickham line mm-hmm. reflects like a, a larger truth, which is that while the Kraken started slowly and the Canucks started um, a, as if every day was a snow day, I, I think it's I think these teams are as closely matched as you can get. All like right. I really think these teams are. Um, like Pickham reflects the reality that these teams are very, um, very much of equal caliber in, in my mind. And so it's going to be a fascinating game and a high stakes one for both sides. Great ragging the puck, Drance. I appreciate that. Well, we'll hear it. at least an abbreviated version of Rick Tockett's game day comments here. Here is the Canucks head coach. Coach, you talked about liking the effort in the last game. What do you need to do here tonight to continue to build? Yeah, I did like that. But just uh, don't get free goals. I think we, uh, the last three, four games, we're giving up like freebies, like where they're preventable. I understand teams, they're great, they're great hockey teams we're playing. Um, you got to make teams work for their goals. I thought we gave uh, some freebies. We're giving the guts, guts of the ice up last few games more than I, we're accustomed to. So we got to protect the middle of the ice more. We saw some shuffled lines there. What do you want to get out of the guys? What was the reason for that, as you call Blender shuffling them up there. Yeah, there's a couple of lines going good, and we got to get a couple other lines getting going. Um, played a little bit quicker, um, more of possession hockey, like uh, holding on the pucks more. And I think it's just you know a little tweak here, there. It's a 82 game schedule. You know, you got to go through these strings. What do you like about what you've seen from Beauvillier? I've loved his jump the last couple of games. Um, you know, he's getting chances. I'm a poor guy, state, but been, we know he's had a ton of chances the last three, four games. Uh, he's been on the forecheck. Um, and I, I f- feel that he can help Millsy and, and uh, Best maybe finishing more on that line. And, uh, you know, hopefully a goalie here that I get him going. I, I, I feel he's close to scoring. How about with Sam Lafferty? What have you liked from him? Um, Sam's just on the forecheck, you know, and he's holding pucks. Uh, he's been involved in some goals for us because he's around the net. Um, you know, bigger guy. Um, we need some forechecking guys that can create some turnovers. With, um, it looks like Kuzi might be the odd man out yeah. tonight. So. 
you know, I know you've been concerned about his play in various areas of the ice for a while here. Was this coming if you didn't see significant improvement? Yeah, I, I think Kuzi needs a reset. I think he needs to um, get his game a little sharper. I mean, when you're not scoring, you got to make sure that your details in your own end. I think he's, uh, you know, he's thinking too much. Um, but there's are some system stuff that we have to count on, not just him, everybody to be in these positions. You know, um, so I feel that he needs a reset. You know, he needs to work with me a little bit more on the ice. More rep. We haven't had a lot of practice time. More repetition um, in certain things. Um, a two game schedule. You're going to go through this stuff. It's only it's Kuzi's second year. People, it's not as he's not. You know, he's not an eight year veteran. So we got to give him some rope to 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 learn the game also and the way we want to play. Yeah, I mean. That is Rick Chocolate. We'll cut it off there. We got the uh, the meat of what we wanted to hear there. Uh, we're, we're a little bit up against it, but nothing too surprising in terms of the answer there from Rick Chocolate on the Andre Kuzmenko healthy scratch transfer. Oh, we might have lost transfer too. So we're going we're going into the weekend uh, with no, the. I'm here, I'm here. Oh, there we are. You're here. You're here. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. And uh, my only takeaway there is the comment about needing to work with him more. Yep. Classic talk. It right. It's on me too. Um, product of practice time, um, you know, I, I, even as he's scratching a player, he's defending him and sort of taking responsibility just to talk a classic. Like, I, I think um, I'm curious to see how it turns out tonight. You hope that the lack of offense doesn't cost them, and then I, I, I'd be pretty excited to, uh, to see what Kuzmenko is able to author against uh, the <laughs> San Jose Sharks. The Van Washington Ke- Generals. The Wa- yes, exactly. Playing the role of the Washington Generals tonight will be the San Jose Sharks. <laughs> uh, Vancouver Warriors lacrosse. Don't miss out on the best show in town for as low as $25 at tickets.vancouverwarriors.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the game tomorrow. We're back on Monday. Keep it right here on Sportsnet 650.